from Andres Bergen, the acclaimed creator of the popular graphic novel Bullet Gal, comes the retelling of the classic Tristan and Isolde. Tristan Holt turns things on its head and places our heroes in a 70s pulp world. Queenie rules with an iron fist, and when two of her best men are killed, it's up to her niece Trista to find out what happened. Tristan Holt by Andres Bergen. Available online at If Comics. That's If question mark C-O-M-M-I-X. Issues also available at dollardownloads.com. Whoa, dudes, Michelangelo here from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the original one. Yeah, and you are listening to Candare Podcast. It happens to be a tribute to comics and pop culture like yours truly, Cowabunga! Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Candare, a tribute to comics and pop culture right here on Wizard World's Con Radio. I am Jeremy Colley. And I am Jack Doherty. And we have today, sitting in with us, uh, in Jeff's absence, we've we've needed a third person mm-hmm. at the table here, and I think we found a pretty good one, Mr. Jake Runyon. Thanks for being with us, Jake. Hi, my name's Nervous. I mean, Jake. Oh, God. <laughs> he's better looking than Jeff, too. Uh-huh. <laughs> he's already messed up. You, you see yourself out there, Jake. Strike one. <laughs> And joining us today uh, from acesandeightspress.com, the creator of See You Next Tuesday and Soulman, Sal Brucolari. Thanks for being with us, Sal. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. And uh, what we're going to be doing with Sal is uh, kind of a way to kick off 2016. Anyone who's ever been interested in creating their own comics, Sal's going to give us some advice on uh, you know how to get your feet on the ground, where to start, if you uh, you know if it's something you might be wanting to get into but don't know exactly where to start. So. I am really looking forward to that. That would be very beneficial. Um, But before we do that, we're going to use our retro roundtable this week to uh, reflect on 2015, just some of the uh, highs and lows, I guess. And then uh, we'll talk comics before we cut our attention over to Sal. So let's just kick it off with this week's retro roundtable. And here we go. <laughs> All right, so like I said, we're recapping 2015 this week. Uh, we got a few things written down here. Uh, I guess we could start with movies, Star Wars being the big elephant in the room here. <laughs> have you seen it yet, Sal? Unfortunately, I have not. Oh. And that, that is, I have, there's a person in my circle of people to blame for that. And it's because, long story short, um, it was supposed to be a gift, and what happened was it was supposed to be like a group thing, and the one person from the group messed it all up. So I'm actually going to see it tomorrow. If I need to get off, though, so I don't get spoiled, that's fine. And you guys can just like give me a little heads up and say, hey, get your headset back on. We already um, took care of that. Yeah, we've already recorded right, the, cool. the uh, section of us ta- spoiling the all heck right. out of it that we're going to okay, cool. tack on to the end of this. So. Cool. Don't, don't make me go hang myself. <laughs> no, I won't. But we had other good movies uh, come out this year, uh, at least the, the big box office movies. Where, uh, one, Age of Ultron. Uh, that was kind of a letdown for me. Yeah, it, it was, was too hyped. Yeah, and just 
I don't know. I, I still can't get past the Black Widow and Bruce Banner. <laughs> yeah, love yeah. I, I, I was gonna say I liked it, but I did not like that that love that little love angle. I, I wasn't a fan of that. Not at all. That and the Hawkeye's just, family. Very yeah. forced. Yeah. Who cares? Yep. Yeah, I don't care. Even though I like his wife. Uh, yeah, I like. <laughs> oh, yeah. I like Hawkeye more as, as a single guy who you know can't catch his uh, can't catch a break. You know. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's better not knowing a lot about him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Makes it too real. You know, it's just <laughs> slightly. You're like, oh no, what if something happens to him? <laughs> <laughs> what about uh, Jurassic World? That was another big one. That movie was so freaking good. Amazing. <laughs> I enjoyed it. Very I think Chris cool. Pratt is really like coming into his own as a um, as a lead role. Dude's a rock star right now. Yeah, He's absolutely. killing it. Yeah, he's awesome. I, I mean, Gardens of the Galaxy was fantastic oh, as well. Yeah. yeah. He knows yeah. how to tone it down between each character to make it not the same character. <laughs> mm-hmm. But even if yeah. it was the same character, uh, yeah. I think everyone would still be on board. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't, ha- he doesn't have that Nicolas Cage effect where all his characters are like the same person. <laughs> <laughs> gotta steal the Declaration of Independence. Yeah, yeah it... Uh, I, I gotta and, steal this car now. <laughs> <laughs> Stealing a lot of stuff there, How to Nicholas. get burned, how to get burned. They yeah. stole my <laughs> face now this time. <laughs> oh, yeah. Then <laughs> as Ghost Rider, I gotta go steal some souls. <laughs> <laughs> He's just a fucking burglar. Con Air got to steal some hours of your life. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, you know Con Air. What a, such a treat! It is a treat. Though. I, it was a good movie when it came out, and I still love it. But it's <laughs> it's like we were talking today about Independence Day. Great yeah, movie when yeah. it came out. Going back and watching it now, it's dated horribly. And yeah. just that, uh, just the whole shtick where you know he's. What is it? He's on a plane to go to some other prison to be let out of prison yeah. or something. Yeah. For yeah. Some reason. And he's got a little stuffed bear from my little baby girl I never met yet. And, and I hated what the villain, uh, John Malkovich, I think that was the oh, first yeah. real exposure I've had with that guy. I'm like, he's the biggest puss sounding guy. But he's this big, tough criminal. I don't know. He played Crazy Eye really well. Yeah, he had the yeah. Crazy Eyes and Steve Buscemi in that oh, movie. Garland mm. Green, oh. such an ace character, <laughs> yeah. trapped in kind of a crummy movie. Yeah, <laughs> that bit at the end, like the tension when he's having the little tea party with the little girl. You're like, oh, yes, I, I can't handle it. <laughs> <laughs> and then not to have a payoff is like a really ballsy move. I think it's like, yeah. And then the very end of the movie when the, the plan. <laughs> is laying in the Vegas Strip and I got a present for you baby and it's just a little rabbit with its head torn off there's blood all over it why would you give that to your child yeah. and that music kicks it's how can I live <laughs> every time I come on oh it's devastating oh my you had mentioned we were talking before the show you mentioned Robin Hood uh with Kevin Costner. What was the song from that one? Uh, Everything I Do. Yes. <laughs> Look into my eyes. Yeah, that was awful placement. <laughs> oh, Lord. Nothing says Robin Hood better. Than Brian wow. Adams. Yeah. Flawless. <laughs> really nailed it. Oh, man. Other blockbuster great movies we had is Fantastic Four. Oh, <laughs> oh you God. know, I haven't More watched like it yet. Knocked it out of the park on that one. Did you see it, Sal? Yeah, unfortunately, my <laughs> eyes hurt. Was it really bad? It was, you know, as a, I'm not, okay, so the big thing was everybody was all mad because Michael B. Jordan was going to be Johnny Storm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess people can't get over the race thing for whatever reason, but <laughs> I just couldn't get over the fact that, Mar- you know, well, I guess it wasn't Marvel, it's Fox, right? So I just can't get over the fact that they did the worst attempt of making, basically making Fantastic Four like Batman. 
because <laughs> like they try to keep it so dark and like gritty and it was just it was just bad it was awful the, this so many holes in the plot it was just bad i still think it was better than the other two uh yeah i agree the other two were i mean captain america's johnny stone doesn't make any sense makes less sense than michael b jordan <laughs> <laughs> this is true <laughs> dr doom was the big uh, that's the biggest complaint i think i had was dr doom in that movie I yeah I, it, it was just bad yeah what about um, what was the other one Marvel movie that came out? This Ant Man. Man, you saw oh, that. That was yeah. fun. Was yeah, that was I fun. liked it a lot. I like Paul Rudd a lot. Yeah, yeah and really? I think it, if it had been a different leading man working with that same script, it wouldn't have really worked for mm-hmm. me. Because on its own, it's not a fantastic movie. But Paul Rudd, I think he's got maybe it's just me, and he's got like a link to my funny bone. He's got a kind <laughs> yeah. of charisma that I'm just like. That's oh. exactly what I was gonna say. He's got. He's charisma. got a really good. Yeah, he's got a really good grasp on sarcasm. Definitely. And that, you know, that whole movie, he was very sarcastic. And it was to the point where it's like, he'll say something and you'll sit there for a second and then you'll laugh. (laughs) I can't stay mad at him. It's too charming. Ever since his days on on Friends. (laughs) Oh, I forgot he was on Friends. Yeah, Yeah, he played the boyfriend of uh, Phoebe. He he married Phoebe, didn't he? Yeah, it was like right at the end of the show. He was like a character for like the last, like, I think the last season. He was like a firefighter or something. Something like that. Like that. Yeah, I remember watching before that because I, I never did see the end of that show. That was during the Monica and Chandler love crap, and yeah, that's where that show went it. to hell yep. when that yeah, all came loose. Yeah, most yeah. shows start dying when the groups start getting intertwined like that. Yeah, absolutely. Ant Man, I, I still want to see, but the whole trailer, the line in the trailer, it was like. Uh, why don't you pick on somebody your own size? Like, give me a freaking break, man. Come on. Let's go for the lowest possible hanging yeah. fruit. Right. Pick it up off exactly. the ground. <laughs> it's like rotting fruit yeah. under your feet, Oh, man. sweet. It's free. <laughs> it's like a, something you'd see in like an 80s movie. You know, I didn't really like the script. You know, it was corny, but I think Rudd pulled it off pretty well. He's he's good. He's just all around mm-hmm. good. And everything I've seen him in, he makes me laugh, like Absolutely. you were saying. I've just never seen him play a role like this. Everything he's been in has been a comedy. So That's I'm anxious true. to see how he plays uh, Ant-Man. He didn't play the love struck, poor me, I just got <laughs> dissed by my girlfriend and I'm trying to win her back the whole time. Yeah. Kind of thing. He was, I mean, he kind of was because of his daughter, but... He was a little bit, oh, yeah, a little bit stronger, a little character, a little bit. Another trailer we got this uh, year, 2015, was a uh, Dawn of Justice, the Superman versus Batman, and I was all on board this until I saw the trailer at the beginning of Star Wars, which uh, we've been getting little snippets up until this full-length trailer we've gotten, and so far it was looking like it was going to pay, you know, the Dark Knight Return story some justice. And um, that it was taking the same angle as Man of Steel, and they were trying to tap in on uh, the old Dark Knight trilogy. Mm-hmm. But then came, you know, in, the, in this full-length trailer, Gal Gadot shows up. Doomsday all of a sudden is there. <laughs> and just the, the line where Batman looks at Superman and says, She with you? Oh, I thought she was with you. That's, yeah. oh, that's what horrible. A poor attempt. Yeah, it was awful. It was a, the worst attempt at trying to be Marvel I've ever seen in my life. Exactly. It's, it's like I was saying to you today. It's yeah, like it's... DC is constantly chasing after the bandwagon that yeah, they can't absolutely. pull themselves up on. It's like when they started developing this, they were going for that darker 
more realistic Dark Knight, Man of Steel feel, but they're seeing how successful the Marvel movies are. So they're working those elements into the movie, you know, the movie they were making originally that has a whole different feel. I don't it's know. Like you can't fight Marvel in no, that exactly. way. You can't attack its strongest points and expect to come out ahead when they've been playing the game for so long. They're going to the have best, to differentiate yeah. themselves. Somehow. Yeah, that's the best way. The only way you could you could stand out is by saying, "Look, that's them. This is us. We are not mm-hmm. the same. That's Absolutely. the only way to do it. I mean, if you go head on and you try to do comedy where Marvel does comedy so perfectly, yeah. like, I mean, the, I think one of the funniest things I saw was in Avengers where, you know, it was towards the end of the movie and, and, and Thor and, and, you know, Thor lands and Hulk lands and Thor says something and Hulk just punches him as hard as yeah. he could. <laughs> like, that was hysterical. And there was there was not even any dialogue. It was just you know punched him right in the face. But mm-hmm. it, it's the little bits like that that you remember and that you you know that you think are funny. But for some reason you know they just can't they just can't get it right. Well, it's little. It's just that little example you gave right there is a perfect representation of the sense of humor you get out of the Marvel comics too. It was brought to the screen very well. It translated very well, and it, you don't get that same thing from DC comics. I don't think, especially a little one liner like that from Batman. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that was the all Flash weird. and a lot of the being little snarky comments from like the Flash and Hal Jordan and stuff. You, you kind there's of there's literally you could have given they could have gave anybody that line. Yeah, except Batman. <laughs> yeah. Yep, you can't was, imagine yeah. like him back at the cave snickering to himself like <laughs> that was a good one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Superman's gonna remember that one. <laughs> Alfred, you should have been there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's another thing I didn't like is how young Alfred looks in the trailers. Like, he doesn't look like he's old or anything. I, I get where you're coming from, but Jeremy Irons is yeah. so cool. Like, I can't, like, there are two perfect Alfreds in my mind. That's Michael Caine, was, yeah. Jeremy Irons. I've got everything right now. Wait, Jeremy Irons is in, like, Hawkeye? Who, who's, who? That's Jeremy Renner. Renner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Excuse yeah. me. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> Continue. Yeah, no, no, that was the end of my thought. Jeremy huh. Irons, badass. Well, I hope so. I certainly I, hope I'm so. I'm confident. I think if every other part of the movie bursts into flames the second it hits the screen, Jeremy Irons will be like the lone standing soldier in the field. Just like, we'll make still it do it, lads. <laughs> <laughs> There's no doubt in my mind these uh, that movie and, uh, like, uh, oh, Suicide Squad are going to, you know, destroy box offices. Mm-hmm. But that's going to be out of curiosity. Yep. You know, it's... And I think after that, they'll probably get horrible reviews. I really hope Suicide Squad has staying power. Just because... I don't see it. I, it's, I want to believe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I don't I don't like it. I don't yeah. like Jared Leto, Leto's Joker from what I've seen. I said the same thing about Heath Ledger, though, and look how that turned out. I, one thing I do like about Leto's Joker is he's going for that, like, old-school laugh where it's like less it's like nah, nah, nah. Mm. he's got like he's taking it way back which is kind of gutsy i think cuz the way he did it you only hear it for a bit but it's kind of scary yeah i just don't like the the tattoos the grill yeah. on his teeth i mean come the on the grill i could get behind if it didn't come with the tattoos like in isolation yeah. i feel like that's manageable but the tattoos are a disaster well we'll have to see i guess hope for the best yeah still there so yeah, I'm here. Okay. <laughs> Listen, I'm just taking it all in. I was going to say, like, a lot of people, um, you know, they were getting on Heath Ledger. And, and, you know, I did some, like, work looking back, you know, for, like, if there were any reviews as far as, you know, Nicholson being um, Joker. And actually, a lot of people um, said that that wasn't the role for Nicholson, that, you know, they were saying that he's not 
I guess you could say funny enough because I guess back then people didn't really besides people who were in the know in the comics community they didn't really understand Batman they didn't really understand comic books they Mm -hmm. thought comic books were for kids and they were funny and um, you know so I feel like that role literally has always you know no matter who is going to be in the role of Joker they're going to be criticized before they you know hit the screen and only problem I have with it is that this Joker looks like he came straight out of Saints Row <laughs> so that's oh my like my God, only I've problem. Made that with character, it. I didn't even think about. That. Yeah, that was like literally my only problem with it. Well, again, time will tell. Let's touch on the uh, comic world a little bit. A couple things that happened in the comic world, at least that we touched on. Uh, I think the one that affected me the most was the supposed death of Donatello mm-hmm. that happened this year, back in March. Which was devastating for about a month there until they, <laughs> they went back on their uh, until they were like, "No, we're kidding. It's fine. Yeah, he's okay. He's okay. He's in another yeah. dimension, and he's got a new body." And wow, good for him. Sounds but, like he really got his act together. <laughs> well, for a short time there, though, man, it really it really looked like he was uh, dead, and that was devastating. But I'd say the biggest blow to the comic world in the past year has been Battle, Battle world. world. Yeah, not a uh, yeah. I, I ducked out of Marvel, but the, the same here. <laughs> exception of Star Wars, I ducked completely out. Well, DC too with their whole convergence thing. That was oh yeah, you're pretty right. much the almost the same thing too. The benefit it was pretty much it was like it was like the heads of Marvel and DC hung out together and like hey yeah. let's do this together. <laughs> Didn't DC uh, stop the fifty twos this year, or is that just yet to come? I think I thought they were they did stop them. I haven't looked. It's pretty at the much DC they pretty much they 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 got rid of a whole bunch of them. Um, and, and they just left room for the ones that, you know, like Batman and, and the ones that were successful. Um, they <laughs> the like they, re, they restarted a bunch of stuff. Marvel's, you know, they're about they, they started restarting most stuff and they're going to keep restarting. Apparently, and this is from what, um, you know, what I've what I've been, you know, researching. And as I see as as a comic writer, like you always want to know what the top guys are doing um, just because they s- seem to set trends. Uh, so like when I say top right now in the industry, I would say like as far as market share goes, it's, you know, Marvel, it's DC, it's image. And um, the thing is, image is so sporadic because everybody owns their own title. So they're going to do what they want. So if you look at Marvel and DC, though, they're taking the model of um of children's TV shows. Children's TV shows go three to five seasons. Um, and then after three to five seasons, the show will be canceled. It's over. And then just a new show will come up. So it'll be like Batman, Brave and the Bold. And then, you know, X amount of episodes go by, X amount of seasons go by. And now it's, you know, Bat, you know, Batman this or Batman that. Mm-hmm. And they're just going to keep going, you know, all-star Batman or, or whatever they might do. You know, uh, beware of the bat. You Beware of Batman. Mm, whatever it's, I love know. that one. That's really good. And what's going to happen is in about, you know, it's been around for like two years. So in about a year from now, or if it's not canceled already, it's going to be canceled. And then they're going to keep going. And then you have rare shows like, you know, Teen Titans Go, which is, you know, about to be on six seasons or whatever it is. So what I'm trying to say is um, comics are starting to take that model because they figure that, you know, nobody wants to pick up, you know, you know, Wolverine, you know, two two forty (laughs) two. (laughs) <laughs> right, but somebody's more willing to buy Wolverine number one because the start, the start point, um, and you know they're taking the model that was actually set by um, TV, also the model that is set by Vertigo because back in the day, you know, not too many years ago, about a decade ago, Vertigo was doing 
um, you know, 30 issue runs or 100 issue runs and then the book would be over. But they are the ones who started that 30 issue story, which has become so popular in today's, you know, comic market. Everyone's doing 30 issues and done, 60 issues and done. Um, so, you know, if you look at a book like um, like Hawk, like Matt Fraction and David Aha's Hawkeye, it went 20 something issues and, and then it was done. Um, you know, you have, you know, Brian Michael Bendis's, um, his X-Men stuff. He did a hundred issues. He did, you know, it was like 50 of Uncanny and 40 something of, um, all new X-Men, but they were both done. So now if you want to read that whole story, you can like superior Spider-Man went up to like 30 issues and then slot was done. And then they brought in amazing again. So what they're doing is they're, they're doing it and they're saying, Oh, this is the, this is it. This is it. This is going to be the new norm. But the thing is, they're not lying. They're not deceiving the audience because they're saying it's going to be the new norm. They're just never saying how long it's for. And in doing that, they're creating uh, – they're looking at the new readers because they know people who read all the time are going to buy no matter what they publish. Right. You know, so you got you know readers like you know like you guys like myself like we're gonna read the comics no matter what. So you don't need to worry about that audience. You need to worry about the audience who's going who's pumped up to go and see. Um, you know, X-Men, you know, Age of Apocalypse. So right. you're going to see like number ones come out around that time. Just like you saw, you know, the, you know, the new 52 was they, they try to coordinate that with the third Batman, where Batman number one was just around around that area. So more or less for the 52. So more or less, they're just going to try to coordinate things where, you know, characters, everyone goes back in place where they need to go in place, which was. Why everybody was so shocked that, you know, right at, you know, when Civil War is happening right now, you know, it's about to happen. And, you know, um, what's it called? Um, blanking on his name because I suck. Uh, the Falcon is right now still Captain, Captain America. America. And the people are saying, oh, well, is he going to, you know, is it going to be, is it going to be the Cap we all know and love, Steve Rogers, by the time the movie's out? So that's kind of like where the movies deviate from the comics. But, when it's all said and done, they're just, you know, they run these comics for so long and then they just stop them and they give you a new number one. And people like us, you know, they get a little aggravated because it's like, hey, I've been invested in the story and now it's over. And then they're like, oh, well, you can buy this trade paperback and relive the whole thing. And it's like, well, no, I want to know what happens next. And it's like, well, it's not important what happens next because this is what's happening now. Right. And that's what, you know, not that it's a bad model. It's just the the model because they know that, the average comic reader is going to read no matter what they're trying to get those you know eight to you know 15 year old kids to start reading comics so you can prep the next generation and you know that's that's pretty much what's going on right now so that's why it kind of like sucks when they're like ending things or people don't even know you don't even know when things are ending like oh that's over like i didn't even know that so like that's why things like battle world flops because if people don't like it you know they're not going to read it and because they know battle whatever happens battle world now doesn't matter a year from now because it's yeah. over and and you know things are going to get reset and we're going to be able to read some new story that's not going to matter you know two years from now i just hate how they keep you know now that they have battle world now they're gonna you know they've been redoing the civil war uh what else did they do uh, redo the age of ultron to pump the movie uh, and marvel versus zombies and yeah and i you know if they haven't already i'm sure they'll do like the house of m over again that, that one was in there too I was think. it and yeah i want to say that title was in there i think it was actually. the whole launch of it was just kind of screwy because you had no idea what the hell was going on and well, they didn't really stories. do a good yeah 
why rehash these like you said today? Yeah, it, just going it, back and ceases... adding CG droids to the scenes in the yeah, old. <laughs> right. Well, it, it ceases to be a classic story if you keep redoing it and it's messing it up. Something you know? new well, yeah, that's less than the sum of its parts. Yeah. yeah. That's why pe- people said, you know, Civil War was the comic that that, you know, solidified Marvel's popularity because it brought so many readers back. And I'll say this, like I stopped reading comics maybe for like uh, I would say about a year and right when that happened the Civil War came out and I dove right back in mm-hmm. so I mean they're getting the addicts I guess you could say with these thing, with these ideas well it um, almost had me I, I mean I, I found myself in the store with Civil War in hand and I just thought why I've got the original <laughs> run at home why do I want to taint that with this I just put it back and I haven't looked at it it's, it's, yeah and that's what happens people start thinking like that Hopefully we'll see a battle or end a battle world soon. <coughs> but all right, well I think that'll do it for this week's retro roundtable. Uh, just a couple of the things we experienced this past year, and a couple of things we didn't. Con Air is a lot, lot older than uh, <laughs> yeah, very <topical>. 2015. <laughs> Extra retro. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All Can right. you really call it classic retro? I mean, it's time. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. I'm going to take back that previous thing. Let's move forward. <laughs> All right. Well, let's jump into the comic dump bin. Talk about some comics. Who would like to go first this week? Or I can go first. It doesn't matter. Go ahead. All right. So, I, uh, like we were just talking about, I, I kind of dipped out on Marvel altogether, with the exception of the Star Wars books that are out now. Got a bad Star Wars fever, I think, as everyone else in the country does, or the world, I should say. So I just grabbed uh, number six of just the normal uh, Star Wars series that's out now. From what I gathered from this book alone, it begins with Luke Skywalker fighting Boba Fett, who has just set off like a flashbang grenade, and he's totally blind, and Boba Fett's like, oh, you know, you can't fight me blinded. He's like, oh, I've got the force, you know? And <laughs> Basically so, the first thing he learned is right. how to fight blinded. <laughs> it really is, isn't yeah. it? So, yeah, he, uh, him and Boba Fett fight back and forth for a while, and he eventually thwarts him. Doesn't kill him, obviously, but knocks him out. And uh, it comes to find out they're fighting in Ben Kenobi's old house on Tatooine. And this is apparent to people who have been reading, but to me, just jumping on number six, I did not know that. But uh, the reason Luke went back there was to get uh, the journals or the, yeah, the journals of Ben Kenobi to learn as much as he could from him. Uh, the other side story that's happening in this book is uh, Han takes Leia down to some planet. I don't remember what it was called, but it's a planet nobody knows about because on the exterior, it's nothing but storms. It kind of reminds me of that planet in the, the Clone Wars that Yoda went to that was nothing but uh, radiation and stuff. But once he cut through it, it was like beautiful inside. Yeah, yeah. It was yeah, the one like with the that. it had the protective layer on it. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It was exactly like that. And once they got in, there was like this uh, paradise that Han already had wine glasses and stuff all <laughs> set up so there, waiting. Uh, which it, you kind of get the idea that this is his bachelor pad. He might have brought other girls here. Oh. Leia is um, not the first. <laughs> well, no, she's not. Because as they're there, as he's telling her, no one else knows about this place. We're totally alone. Here comes a ship <laughs> flying in. And Leia's looking up like, who could this be? And Han's like, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. And she goes, uh, Han, well, who is this? And next thing is a woman saying, uh, don't ask him. Let me just tell you, I'm his wife. 
Who, who might you be? What? Yeah, <laughs> and it ends yeah. on that. Yeah, Jason Aaron's killing it. Yeah, you know, he's making some amazing choices and, and doing some some really unique stuff with that book. Absolutely. When's that take place? Was it? Uh, this is right after A New Hope. Okay. Oh, lay that. And the cherry on the uh, cupcake to this book right here was it ends with Darth Vader standing and uh, looking out uh, the, one of the, I don't know if it's an Imperial cruiser or what, one of the windows into space, and Boba Fett comes in behind him. And all Darth Vader says is, did you, did you catch the one who destroyed the Death Star? And he goes, no, I wasn't able to. And Vader stands there for me and goes, this is upsetting. And next thing you know, he goes, I did get his name, though. And he goes, uh, his name's Skywalker. And Vader just stands there. And Boba Fett's like, okay, I guess we're done here. <laughs> and, yeah. he, and he leaves, and Vader's still standing there. And next thing you know, you see him, like, clench his fist, and the glass around him starts cracking. <laughs> and he goes, it's him realizing, like, it, it could, it's his offspring. Yeah. It's the moment he realizes it's his offspring. That's pretty cool. Wow. Yeah, yeah. It, was a, it was a really a good moment. moment. It was it was it was really good. I'm excited to keep up with it. So keep keep up the good work. All right, that was my offering. I have one of the gems from Comic Bento. It is a Aspen comic. Never heard of that. Yeah, but it's called uh, Executive Assistant Iris, and what she is is a executive assistant slash ninja slash assassin. I would Slash expect nothing less. Piece of ass. A good executive. <laughs> <laughs> she does have a nice ass. Look at that. You just see some of the stuff in here. But pretty much she's a, she was an orphan in China. Got sent to like this monastery where she was trained, fed, grown up, educated. And when she got older, a large CEO of a large company came in and hired her. And basically she's his bodyguard. Pretty much like uh, the movie Kingsman. Samuel mm-hmm. L. Jackson's sidekick that was standing there. She was cool as well. Yeah. yeah. She's pretty much just like that. Anything that happens in a business meeting, then he'll be like, Iris, go take care of him. And then she goes and kills him in some kind of crazy, stealthy way. Just from the art, I'm getting kind of like a Miho from Sin City vibe. Yeah. Like, yep. Get the impression she probably doesn't say much, but like she's lightning quick. I can't tell you what I'm getting from the car. <laughs> <laughs> oh, please. Just face a different direction if you don't mind. Good well, thing a, this table's here. <laughs> issue zero through six of the trade. And I got through the first couple. And it looks like it's starting to, to, to get pretty deep in the story because the first two issues in it is basically... You know, there's a business meeting, something happens, he sends her to kill the person. The next issue, someone needs to get fired, he gets fired, she goes to where their vacation at, kills the person. The third one, there's a big business meeting of all the higher execs that are above the main company that she's working for, and all of a sudden the building blows up. So I don't know if... How, I don't know how she's getting out of this one. Now, I, I don't mean to interrupt you, but is there a point when she cuts off a former employee's head and says, here's your severance package? Because <laughs> uh, no. they miss that opportunity. That'd be, great. I, That'd be fantastic. <laughs> no, she's pretty pretty uh, quiet. She doesn't have a lot of one-liners at all. Gotcha. <laughs> well, she Probably for that best. one. But that's a pretty neat book. I was kind of surprised with never hearing an Aspen. Aspen. Comics. Aspen comics. Say it Where the water flows like women. <laughs> oh, nice. All right. All right. We have Sal and Jake. Who wants to go next? I can go. Um, go for it. So the best 
Alright, so this is my favorite graphic. I know it's like not a comic, but it's a graphic novel, but it counts. Uh, my favorite graphic novel of this year, actually, um, it was uh, Two Brothers. It was through Dark Horse Comics, and it was by the brothers uh, Fabio Moon and Gabriel Ba, um, made famous through um, you know their series with Matt Fraction, uh, Casanova. Um, they also did Umbrella Academy, but um, they also did a bunch of BRPD and a book called Day Chipper. But this brother, Two Brothers, um, is actually an, ad- is an adaption of the um, number one selling uh, Brazilian novel of all time. Um, it's about these two brothers and so they, you know, they're twins and they spend their whole lives, you know, competing. And then one day when they're around 10 years old, uh, they get into like a pretty brutal fight and the one brother scars, um, the other on his face, no longer letting, you know, they're no longer twins. Now they're different. And, and to keep peace in the home, the mother keeps her, um, they keep, their favorite son there and they send the other son off to um another country because they're from brazil they send them off to lebanon to um go to like an architectural school but this school you don't graduate until you're 18 so they basically sent this kid away you know for eight you know for eight years um and then they basically live their lives as um you know as if they had one shot one son um and a daughter and they never really recognized the twin son but when the twin son starts to become like a famous scholar and an architect um eventually he comes home um and you know the father wants nothing but peace between his sons he knows that one son is a fuck up and the other one is like this really smart guy um so he's you know he's always like you know he's not going to force them to reconcile their differences while the mother tries and the mother keeps the other son that she likes like really close and then it basically just shows like their lives growing up and it, and it goes all the way um through to you know to like towards the end of their lives and um the, the really cool thing is is the perspective of the book is through the perspective of the um the servants so it's only what the servants see which is really cool so there's a one servant um and then it's her son so you see the whole story of these kids lives from you know pretty much from age you know eight all the way to you know the day they die when they're in their like i think it was their 70s or whatever it's not a spoiler um <laughs> and, and so it's like literally you see their lives through the perspective of of the servants of the house and how you know like their mother affects uh their lives how their father affects their lives how they affect each other's lives um there really is no main character and that's what's so interesting about it is that the main character is the friction between the two brothers and how it affects everybody so like there is you know it's not like oh this guy's the main character that guy's the main character it's the theme of of this one problem that these brothers had so many years ago that has you know caused a wedge within the family um and how it affects everybody and it's just such a good book and and like they show like you know how the parents met and then you know what the parents said about you know the day they'll have kids and how basically they set up they they started out as a perfect family until this one incident that changed their lives and and it's just their art is fantastic it's completely black and white book there's no shading so they you know they penciled it they inked it and that was it um and it was a really really stylistic approach and i'm not sure if you guys are familiar with with them but um gabriel ba and fabio moon they load the pages with art and they have such a unique art style that it all blends together um and and sometimes I, i i'll go on a whim and say they're 
you know, they're two of the best um, at, you know, pay, they can go pages without saying anything. And you know what's going on. You know what the characters are thinking just by their facial expressions and body language. So, I mean, it's it, it's a really long read. It's like 200-something uh, pages. Wow. I think it's like 240 pages. But here's the kicker. It's a hardcover, black and white, 240-page book through Dark Horse Comics that costs $12 on Amazon. So Jeez. Yeah. So it's definitely wow. worth it. Yeah. yeah and if you're sure. a prime yeah, and if you're a prime member, it you know, you get the free shipping. But um <laughs> I, I wouldn't I thought about getting it on Comixology, but I, I didn't want to taint it. So I, I got the hardcover. Uh I read it in three days. It was just a fantastic I couldn't put it down. It's a fantastic book. Anytime my anytime I had to myself, I basically spent reading that book and neglecting all responsibilities. <laughs> <laughs> so if you guys have a chance and you have twelve bucks, I would definitely Highly recommend Two Brothers through Dark Horse Comics by Gabriel Bob and Fabio Moon. Uh, again, it was a you know an adaption of the best Brazilian novel ever written, so it's definitely worth your money. Very cool. That does yeah. sound good. It sounds it's really good. Book. Like too powerful. Like if I read that through, I'd have to isolate for like three days. <laughs> yeah, it was good. I yeah, and I was like explaining to my wife, I was like, you don't understand what just happened, and she was like, she's like, not only did I don't understand, I don't care. <laughs> and I'm like, no, you have to read this. But but it was it was definitely like, if you have like a good six hours, you can, you can you could finish it in six hours. But it was it was fantastic, and, and it was very powerful book. Um, I was like, you know, you, some pages I would have to like go back and read it just to make sure I understood what happened, um, because you have to like you once you look at a panel you look at it, you keep going, but sometimes you have to pick up on a panel because it affects you a couple pages from now you don't know it till you get there so you're like you get like ten pages away like wait a minute that this is the same scene from a different angle so you got to go back ten pages to kind of see what just happened or at least that's what I do because when I read I dissect. But um, I definitely recommend that book. And, you know, 12 bucks is definitely worth the money. Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. That leaves one. There's Jake. Yes, sir. All right. Now, I've, I've been telling the guys here before they threw me in the back of their panel van that I'm not really that <laughs> well-read when it comes to comics and graphic novels. It's something I came into very late. So I, I, I don't have this, this set of, like, this knowledge base that you guys seem to draw from, which is fantastic, by the way. Oh, seeing you guys have got much of a knowledge base. Right. No? All right, well, well, then that goes to show how little I know. <laughs> but um, the, the few that I've read, I'm very passionate about, and one in particular. I'd even go so far as to call it my favorite. I don't know if uh, graphic novel is the right classification, mm-hmm. but uh, Transmetropolitan. No. You're not familiar? No. Mm-hmm. All right, I, I want to say it's Vertigo. At the extreme risk of being wrong, but um, it's it's such a wild comic to like explain in one sentence. It's it's about this um, this I want to say outlawed journalist, even though that's a dorky sounding title. But, <laughs> you uh, can't write that stuff around here. Get <laughs> yeah, out. Pretty much, pretty much. And uh, his name is bear with me. His name is Spider Jerusalem. Which, oh, wow. by the way, wait, is that by is that the one by Warren Ellis? Yes, that's the one. Okay, yeah, it's Vertigo. Once you Vertigo. said his name, I realized, I was like, wait a minute. I was like, I know this. Where yeah. do I know this from? <laughs> yeah, yeah, so keep going. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. No, 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 I just had fine. to make sure I was on the same page. I'm glad I was right. I appreciate yeah, it. You're right. <laughs> yep, it was Vertigo. It was Warren Ellis. Uh, I believe the artist was Derek Robertson, but I'm not sure. I think I it was. Take your word for that one. No, I think he's got the knowledge. He's yeah. clearly, yeah. Like we were talking <laughs> to an expert. But yeah, uh, I'm no expert. I'm just a guy who reads too much. That's close enough for me. But uh, he's a journalist in a city that is only ever called the city. 
like with that kind of air of menace. And this is futuristic, but zany beyond all comprehension. And the thing is, the things that happen culturally and the changes you see taking place in the world through the, through the lens of this city, they're so far out, so out there, that they kind of transcend that spectrum and come right back around to the start to believable. It's so strange, you know, that you think like, Oh, I think they nailed it. This is where culture is going in 200 years or however long it is. It, I'll, I'm going to butcher this, but there's an early part in the first issue, I think, where Spider is just back from a self-imposed exile into the countryside because he can't stand the city anymore. And he comes back and he says, I'm sitting at the street corner just waiting for a bus or something like that. I don't know. And uh, there, was a, there was a wolf hybrid with green fur and wings standing on the corner holding a sign that said full-time bodyguard and sex slave available for hire <laughs> a man with 13 six-foot komodo dragons walked up to her on the street they exchanged data through some kind of skull implant device then they had sex right there in front of me and one of his komodo dragons vomited all over my new kicks I hate this city. <laughs> it it's is got so the, in- uh, makings of a Tom Waits song. <laughs> yeah, it's it, really <laughs> brutal. Yeah, but it's so incredibly poignant in the way it's written and some of the subjects it touches upon. Like in the first issue, he's handling um, a, a, a subgroup of people who have, they've encountered aliens, I think, in the solar system. But there's a line. It's like a throwaway line about how. Once Earth culture took everything they could find that was cool or trendy about aliens, they resorted to selling their own DNA so that they wouldn't go extinct. Oh, wow. And there's this subgroup of people who have accepted alien DNA just as a way to be different. And they've cloistered off this um, bit of the slums, built barricades. And Spider wants to get in on that before the riot cops come in to quell the whole uprising. He talks to their figurehead, some guy who calls himself Johnny Christ or something oh, wow. to that effect. <laughs> and, uh, and he's there just to catalog like the, the horror and the bloodshed that this is just such a powerful city flexing its muscle against a force that never had a chance despite what they were told. And he's sitting there on the top of a strip club, like typing this live to like the jumbotron in the center of the city because, you know, spiders back and everyone's hyped. <laughs> And, um, you know, buildings are burning. He's dodging Molotovs. He's talking about, you know, riot cops visibly groping their erections as they crush half alien skulls into the dirt. <laughs> and I was like, nothing has ever been put to words that is cooler than this comic. <laughs> I wow. cannot recommend it enough because yeah. it sounds so zany and that's, I'm not doing yeah, it justice. That's one of the comics. Yeah. But Dude, that it, was one of the comics that put Warren Ellis on the map. And for good reason, because it's brilliant. Yeah, it was it's hands down. It's brilliant. awesome. Yeah, I mean, he's been around forever, but that book like was like helped solidify his like career. Wow, Transmetropolitan, you said? Give it a read, yes, sir. I think I might. Yeah, you yeah. should. Good call. Good call. <laughs> great, great, great comic. Thank you. All right, very good, very good. A lot of good comics this week. All right, so with that, let's just turn right over to Real World Heroes. Jack, who do we have this week? Chris Eriks from Rapid City, South Dakota. And what has Chris Eriks done to deserve a spot on our wall of justice? Well, a little bit of backstory. Back in September of 91, 17-year-old Ryan Harris entered Stevens High School, uh, walked into his math class, demanded that the teacher leave, and held 22 other students hostage with a 12-gauge sawed-off shotgun. Oh, boy. For wow. four... <laughs> For four hours, uh, while the students were hunkered down, you know, 
trying not to get shot. Uh, Harris yelled for demands over the PA for uh, some pizza, some cigarettes, a million dollars, and a helicopter getaway. And each time he ordered, he shot the shotgun. So he he knew they knew he pretty much was mean in business because he wasn't afraid to sit there and keep shooting the gun. At one point, he set down his gun, and Chris got up and jumped for the gun. And the moron realized that he was going for the gun, so he went back for it. And they wrestled around for a few minutes, but he ended up getting a hold of the gun, and the other guy didn't. Did he get to uh, take him out? They, it, the story I found didn't go much into that other than that he realized that he made a mistake and Chris Eric's the hero got the gun away from him wow takes some brass balls to do that absolutely yeah it definitely does wow and for that Chris you have found a spot on our wall of justice in the hall of heroes so keep up your good deeds my friend all right Let's turn our attention right over to Sal and get busy on this comic workshop. I'm excited to do this. Yes, I am too. Uh, happy birthday to Stan Lee, by the way. 93 years old. Oh, that's oh, right. Yeah. Wow. Shit, I meant to <laughs> yeah. put that on Twitter and I forgot all about it. Yeah, happy birthday, the Stan the Man. Well, yeah, if it wasn't for him, I probably wouldn't even be talking to you guys tonight. <laughs> well, that stings a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, we probably wouldn't be here doing this. Well, well, you're damn right we wouldn't. <laughs> None of We'd us all would be reading be here. regular yeah. books with too many words. <laughs> <laughs> Who's got the time? I mean, come on. I like the pictures. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did you see that one? Scott Splosions. So Sal came to us with this idea uh, about a month or two ago about uh, maybe doing a comic workshop, the way to kick off 2016 to uh, for comic artists or, com- or people out there who are interested in getting into the comic making business. Maybe you don't know where to start. So uh, Sal's going to shed some light onto that for you. Um, where would you say, Sal, is the best place to start? I mean, I'm guessing probably getting a well-formed idea in your head. So I would say, you know, everybody... Everybody has at least one story in them, uh, or is that that's what you know a lot of people say. Um, but a comic book is a lot different. Um, you know, it, it's really um, a unique f- form of, of expression. And I would say the best thing to start with a comic is, um, it, it, you know, a lot, there's a lot of different opinions. I'm not saying mine's right. This is just you know what I did and my opinion is. Um, you should start off with a well-formed one-shot. Um, you know, have your idea, have your beginning, middle, and your end. Um, and don't, you know, some people think about money, blah, blah, blah. I, I think the first goal in comics is completion, is being able to say, okay, this is my idea, and I'm going to complete it. And uh, if you're a writer, it's a lot harder than if you're an artist, because if you're an artist, you can probably write, um, but writers can't draw, so they need an artist. <laughs> Um, I, yeah, I mean, I can't draw, but I know exactly what the panels need to look like, which is where my, you know, writing comes in. Um, so I, I, there's so many ways to do it. Um, so many free ways you can do it as far as publishing goes. And like I said, the first goal should be completion. Um, and the best way to do it and get it out there is via webcomic form. But before you do that, you have to have an idea. So you know, I probably wouldn't do a superhero book if you're starting out in comics, um, mainly because you're competing with Batman yeah. and, you're, and you're competing with Spider-Man. And, you know, name a character, that's who you're competing with. Lose right out of the gate like that. Yeah. <laughs> right. So um, 
Like I, it's saturated, oversaturated. Dude, with oh, absolutely. Super There's no room in there. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, like, I always start with a different idea. Like, what my first thing I ever did was called um, uh, The Adventures of Mighty K.O. Punch Man and Sir. And it was actually a superhero parody. So, I literally looked at the superhero genre and made fun of it for 24 pages. You know, I, that was just my way of getting in, and, and I found a really good artist. Um, you know, for the time, you know, I needed to find somebody. So, once you have your idea, um, and, and nobody's gonna tell you your idea is wrong because this is how you have an idea. You have your idea for a story. It's too many people fixate on the story and they don't think about the character. Um, and the character is actually more important than your story because if your character is not interesting, your story is not interesting because a story is just a sequence of events that happen. Um, it's the characters that make you care about the sequence of events. So I, I would start off with an interesting, interesting character, find out what that character's want is, and throw as many obstacles at them as you can from getting their their want or need. Um, so I mean, if I want to make an example, you know, just say there's this there's this guy and he needs to get to work. And he was told by his boss yesterday if he does not get to work, he will be fired. So think of every obstacle you can put in front of him from getting to work. Mm, okay, I see. So let's just, you know, start there. And so, you know, you, the first thing you have to do is obviously, you know, show that you care about that character, show why somebody else should care about that character. So maybe he's like you, maybe he's somebody you know. Um, I always try to make my characters like people that I know. I, I don't ever try to invent somebody. It's um, sometimes if you try to make a lovable loser – people can feel that you're 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 you know not organically creating that person so what i do is i think about all my friends i think about my family members and i figure out the one person that is closest to somebody who i could put in this situation and that's who i put in and i and i deviate off of that person but my foundation is there so if you know somebody who is a lovable loser um take that person and let's let's start with that person so say um, you know, maybe the first page he's, he starts off, I always start off with like, I always start off with a bang. I, I never like say, Oh, well one day this happened and then this happened and here's your story. I literally say, here's your story. So this is advice that I've, um, I've gotten from, um, Brian Michael Bendis's book, words for pictures. And that, you know, he gave so much, this is a great book to start off by, by the way, it's probably the best one out there right now, as far as starting off your comic journey. Um, but he always says, start a scene as late as you can. So let's just say, for example, um, you know, it's five o'clock in the morning. Then you do another shot. It's six o'clock in the morning and the guy's rolling in his bed. And then the, the next panel, he's doing this. And then you show the you show the clock and then all of a sudden the alarm goes off and then he raises up. He looks at the alarm. The next panel, he realizes, oh, crap, I'm late. Don't start all there. Just start at the alarm. Mm-hmm. The, the alarm, it's a sense of urgency. It shows your reader, holy crap, something's about to happen. Alarm goes off. You know, he's late. And then start the story. You know what I mean? Yeah, so you're like, you want a lot of uh, space to you could be telling more of the yeah, story. absolutely. And let's say you're going to do 24 pages. 24 pages, you know, at max, it's going to be around 90-something, 80-something panels. So you have to think about your, you know, you want to never go more than five panels when you're starting off in comics unless you have a really good artist who can consolidate um but i would always say you know start your comic page with five panels um so five you know times 24 that's pretty much what you're working with 
right? So you're, you're pretty much working with, what was that, 120 panels. So stick to that, you know, whatever it is, 102 panels, whatever. And know that's your base and know how to get the story moving. And then you have your idea, right? Now, I, I, it's always good to, like, write your first couple pages in comic form and... You know, that's, you know, if you're a writer, there's two ways to write. There's Marvel style and there's a uh, full script. So Marvel style is you basically write a paragraph of what happens on that page. You include your dialogue under, you know, you could include your dialogue, which is like modified Marvel style or or you can just write what happens on the page. You know, you do that for each page and then eventually you have your book and then you have to find an artist and your artist is going to translate what you wrote the page need the page is right and then when you look at it now you put the words in that's marvel style i don't prefer that because to me that's it's a longer process a and b um it's a little dangerous to do it that way because you know and I'll get to why why it's so dangerous, but as far as the collaboration goes, I feel that, you know, a full script is better. So it's panel one. This all happens, and then you space down, and you say, this character says this. So it's like, Joe says, whatever. You know, Steve says, whatever. Joe replies, this. And you just write that in, like, their name, colon, and whatever they're saying. Then comes the next panel, panel two, and you keep doing that. And then when you get to the next page, you just, at the top, you write page two, and you do it the same way. And you don't have to do five panels. You can do three. You can do one. It's a matter of getting your story across. But if you do it this way, odds are it's going to be better for your collaboration. So say you have your idea. You wrote your first five pages. The next thing you need to do is you need to find a an artist, right? So there's a lot of good forums to go to. Um, and that's where you're going to find your artist. Unless you know somebody uh, or you go to a meetup, let's face it, it's much easier you know, one o'clock in the morning, midnight, whatever, looking online on your computer to find an artist. Crazy. A lot of good, yeah, there's a lot of good places. There's a lot of good places. I would say um, you can go to deviantart.com. Uh, there's Ooh, penciljack.com. There's digitalwebbing.com. And then one of the my personal favorites actually has been uh, millerworld.tv. So that's Mark Millar's. Um, little uh his site his forum a lot of people don't realize to go there but there's artists there posting everything that they're doing and especially he just did that talent hunt so so many artists posted their work inside the talent hunt if you find somebody you like there you know if they have an email address get their email say hey listen this is who i am um this is what i want to do and i would love to work with you and you know if you'd love to work with them obviously um but (laughs) Why I always ask artists the same questions. All my artists that I'm about to collaborate with, I always ask three questions. How many first question, have you killed? Yeah, right? <laughs> it's almost like that. <laughs> <laughs> my first question for them is, you know, how, how long have you been uh, collaborating in comics? Now, that's a very specific question. The reason I'm asking them how long they've collaborated is because I don't need to know how long they've been making comics because if you make comics on your own, it's totally different than collaborating. Mm-hmm. So the first thing I always say is how long you've been collaborating in comics for. Um, my second question is, is what's your rate? So, you know, every artist is going to have their rate and they're, you know, they're not going to, you know, they need money, uh, obviously, to perform the task of doing the art. Unless you find an artist that you could uh, do a pure collaboration with where you both own the IP of whatever you're creating. In which case, if you, 
you know, get some kind of monetary compensation, you would, you know, work that out however you want to. And the final question is, is um, how long does it take you to complete a page, a sequential page? Um, now, these are three important questions. The first one is it's going to tell you, you know, if they say I've been collaborating for five years, 10 years, so they know how to, they know how to read a script. You know, that's the first mm -hmm. thing. If they say I've never done it before, odds are you're going to have a rougher time trying to translate what you're saying. Because remember, learning or learning how to write, writing is learning. So when you're learning how to write, you might not know how to translate what you see in your head. And unless you're specific, you're going to might confuse the artist. The artist might know better um, than what you want to do if they're more experienced. So if, they, if you say, oh, I want to do all this, and the artist is like, well, wait a minute, you said you want him to punch him and throw him out the window in the same page. That's not possible because obviously those are two different actions. Every panel is an action. It's a movement. You can't, it's like a picture. You can't show movement more than once unless you have a new iPhone. Um, <laughs> so that's what you, that's where you want to, yeah, right? That's where you want to start is understanding, you know, your collaboration so you ask him how long he's been collaborating uh the next question is you, you say to them you know what's your rate you got to know what your budget is if, if is your budget a thousand dollars is it five hundred dollars is your budget two thousand dollars what's your budget on creating do you not have a budget do you are you hoping to find somebody who will work with you and you know work out some kind of deal or arrangement um and the final question is, is how long did it take you to do a page? So if a guy tells you he's um, $100 a page, let's just say, um, okay, $100 a page, how long does it take you to do it? If he says a day, that's pretty good. That means he's doing a page in about eight hours, and that's really good. Now, again, is he just doing pencils, inks? Is he coloring? This is all stuff you have to keep into account because if he doesn't do that stuff, you have to find somebody who does. Uh, you can find different people to ink, to, to color, to letter. Sometimes people can do two things. Sometimes people could do all three or four rather. So you have to find somebody who could, you know, fit what you're doing, fit what your budget is. Um, if the person says, oh, $100, it takes me two weeks to do a page, it's going to take you forever. You're probably not going to get the book done, honestly. That's, that's the truth. <laughs> you're not going to get it done because he's going to fall off. He might find a better project. He might find more money. Um, this is all stuff that every time I meet a new artist, I get worried about. Um, it's stuff like, you know, is he going to complete it? Or, hey, look, he gave me four pages this week. He gave me no pages in this week. And the week after, I didn't give me anything. But this week, he gave me three. So that's inconsistency. Right. Um, you want somebody, you have to say what you want from comics. Like, do you want to just do a one shot just to say you did a comic? Do you want to make this an everyday thing that you want to self publish? Do you want a career in comics? This is all questions you need to ask yourself. Um, and based on those answers, we'll, you know, help you gauge your your budget, your collaboration, and how serious you are about it. So the starting point is the story, but there's so much more than that. There's the collaboration, which is the most important part for a writer. Um, again, it's it's all about your budget. I can't stress that enough. Like you can't, you know, find an amazing artist and then he tells you he's hundred dollars a page, but he's only doing pencils. Because what does that right. mean? That means you got to go find an inker. That means you got to go find a colorist. That means you have to go find a letterer. And you just increased your budget. So you have to write your story first off. And, and the thing is, too, you might say to yourself, oh, I see this, this, and this. And he might say to you, listen, this one panel needs to be two. Or he might say to you, hey, look, these three panels here, I can make these one. So this is where being a good collaborator is important. Um, me personally, I 
think you should do this. This is my opinion. Every comic page is one page of Word, Microsoft Word document. That's how I. That's how I work. Um, so I do. Um, I do one inch borders from the top, or actually, from the top I do a half inch border, <coughs> border, and from the sides I do one inch border. So I'm extending my page, but my comic pages equal out to a one page of script equals one page of comic. Now you're gonna say like, oh, well, I really want to have all this stuff. Is it really important for you to say we're in a park? There's a tree behind him. If you say you're in a park, he kind of knows there's a tree there. You know what I mean? So right. it's little little hints inside your script that you're saying to your artist. Now, if you feel very passionate about a particular, I'm not gonna say page, I'm gonna say a particular panel or a sequence of panels. You know, maybe it is a page, but let's say a sequence of panels. Then you can say, you know, hey, listen. I really would like for it to look like this. If you have a better idea, please tell me before you begin the art on the page. Because now you're not going to let make him waste his time. Because now if he goes and he has this great vision, he sees your five panels, he's like, I can do this in two. And he does it in two and he thinks he did a wonderful job and he sends it to you. Now you're going to be disappointed. And the reason right. you're disappointed is because you really, really wanted that page to be five panels. And he, he thinks he did amazing and you're angry because he didn't do what you wanted and you're paying him to do what you want so that's where it kind of gets iffy personally i always trust my artist um i am a writer and that's what i do he is the artist or she is the artist and that's what they do so you're 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 not only paying them to draw it you're you're paying them to for their experience it. yeah to visualize it so you're trusting them so you need to figure out what is most important to you in that book i have never i don't i can honestly say this i have never sent a page back to an artist for art and say hey i don't like this don't do this i've never done that in the two years i've been writing comics and the four artists no five artists that i've worked with i always trust their vision they they know what it should look like. They understand anatomy better than I do. They understand depth perception better than I do. I just kind of know that this guy needs to be doing this with that guy. I would say never be attached to anything in your script. Um, and if you are attached to it, you better have a damn good reason to explain to them because they might not understand your vision. And that's where the collaboration comes in. That's why I say the first question is, how long have you been collaborating in comics? This is all stuff you have to think of when you're starting. It's And another thing is I have different artists. I write the script differently for all artists. Like um, my artist on See You Next Tuesday, Ibai Canellis, he's also the artist of Soul Men. Me and him have a very good friendship based off of our, our comic work is what came first, but then we became really good friends to the point where if I'm confused or I don't know what to do, I'll just literally write panels three through five. They're fighting. Figure it out. Um, and here's the, he, And I'll say like, <laughs> panel three, I want the dialogue to be this. Panel four, the dialogue is this. Panel five, the dialogue is this. If you, and I, I'll put a note in there, like, if you turn these into one panel, please keep this dialogue. And then I'll, like, you know, just turn it a different color or something inside the script. Um, so he knows, all right, keep the, keep the blue dialogue. And if you have to nix anything, nix the red dialogue. Because that's gotcha. not important. It's not key to the story. It's a little extra, like a sigh or, or um, a one-word thing. And as far as writing comics goes, um, you never want to put more than 25 words in a panel, whether it's over one word balloon, two word balloons, three word balloons, or you're Brian Michael Bendis and you put nine word balloons in a panel. <laughs> um, he's very good at that. But 
you never want to put more than 25 words in a panel. That's a no-no. So many times I see books, you know, I'll open a book from like uh, a person at a con that, you know, maybe I'm sitting next to behind the booth and I see their panel and I'm looking and I'll do it right in front of them. Like, and this, I probably shouldn't, but I do. Um, I'll like start looking at their book and visually, I'm not like using my finger, but visually I'm counting the words in panels. And I'm like, you know, I've counted up to, I've counted 64 words once in one panel that was maybe three inches by three inches. Wow. It looked like a freaking newspaper. And it's not, it's a comic. So like, you don't have to say like, put it this way, like in panel one, uh, you know, main character, you know, whatever his name is, uh, you know, looks disappointed. And then, you know, main character says this, I'm disappointed. Like, really? Like, yeah, it, it's a comic book. If you can't, if the artist cannot convey that he is disappointed, he probably shouldn't be an artist. Yeah, you're not letting the uh, artist do their work. Yeah, half of it has to be conveyed through the picture. That's why they're there. I mean, exactly. If, if you're not going to rely on them to help tell the story, just write a novel or something. Right. I you want... really considered that play of like the, the sort of binary system at work there where mm-hmm. one can't overpower the other. They have right. to exactly. complement each other, have to be in concert. Yeah. You got it. And you want to never be afraid to cut, especially the dialogue. Like, you know how many times this is what I have sent back scripts for. I've sent back scripts and said, you know, completed pages with words. I would say, hey, listen, this doesn't work. Just I don't want this character to say anything. Keep them silent. Like, take out everything I said. And they all be like, well, you put it. He has a whole sentence here. I'm like, don't worry about it. Just, just get rid of it. And that's because the story flows better that way. And sometimes I've sent it back where I'm like, hey, listen, um, you know, maybe it's not exactly what I want, right? So this is where that Marvel style comes in. And maybe I wanted it to be a, a silent page. But you know what? I'm looking at it and I'm like, you know what? This one character, he just, he wouldn't be silent in this page. Like in See You Next Tuesday, I have a character, Robert the Doll, and he doesn't shut the fuck up. Um, <laughs> so, you know, in a silent panel or a silent page, you know, he wouldn't be silent in a certain situation. So I'll be like, you know, when I was writing the script, I didn't want any talking. But I'm looking at Robert, and this is just not a time where he would be quiet. So say this. And then it gets fixed. Um, knowing your character, knowing what that character would do. Right. And that goes back to the beginning of saying, you know, what's my story? Um, and again, if you're starting, I wouldn't go more than three main characters to your or three um, specific characters in your story. Like, you don't want to overwhelm yourself when you're writing and having to remember all these characters and the way they speak, which is important to a story because you don't want your characters to sound the same because um, that's a mistake that, you know, some new writers make is their characters all sound the same. So um, you got to kind of know your character and know why that character is there. Every character, when you write, is a tool to convey a message. Um, and if, you know, if I have a hammer, I'm not going to go get another hammer because I have one. So if I get a hammer, I need to do something else. Well, maybe I need a chisel or maybe I need a screwdriver. So each character are, is your tool to getting to the end of the story and to conveying a message. Um, so yeah, you really just like bring their own element to the table. Yeah, exactly. Um, you have pacing, right? So when you, you write a story, you're pacing it. Um, you know, you could do a three act structure. Um, I do five points, which is a little different than three acts. So like my five points is like point one. Um, maybe get, you know, if you want to, I'll slow down. My first point is, um, these are my characters. This is who everybody is. And this is what's going on. My point two is, okay, this is the problem. 
this is going to be solved by the end of this. My point three is, hey, look, we're doing really good, and this is happening. Um, my fourth point is, uh-oh, they're in deep shit. Looks like everything is is going wrong. Like, now this is where your, your main character starts to lose, right? And then my fifth point is, okay, my character will has is going to overcome this obstacle, and the story ends. So that's how I do a story. I do story by five points. So I do your, you know, my intro, then I set up the problem, and then I make it look like the problem's about to be solved. Then I bring in a greater obstacle to get to the, the solution, and then I get to the solution. Um, that's my five points. Uh, three acts is a lot different, uh, but it's very much the same. Uh, that doesn't make sense, but it does. <laughs> um, three acts, you know, you introduce your character, you set up the problem. Uh, and then in the in the thir- inside the third act, you're you know you're solving the problem while showing growth in your character to the point where in the beginning his world looks like this, and then something happens to change his world. In in three, you know, in the second act of the three act structure, he is uh, or she is um, you know figuring out how to come to terms with this new change. They accept the change, they fail at something, and then they truly embrace the change. And then in the third act, they they use the change in their character, in their world, and they overcome the obstacle. Um, or they don't overcome the obstacle, and then it ends. Um, so it's basically the same thing. It's just a different way to get there. You're, you're starting at the same point, and you're ending at the same point. Um, but it, none of it matters if you can't get your character to be relatable to your audience. And, and the way to do that is, um, again, using what you know, use people that you know. And, you know, what about that person makes you friends with them? What about that person is something you admire? Um, and maybe take that and, and stretch it and skew it and, and make it, you know, do what you can, but don't pop it. Because when you pop it, then nobody cares. Right. Um, so you have to really test that character. So if you're going to show that this character is strong-willed, you have to give them every reason in the world to not be strong-willed and have them still persevere through a problem. That's what makes people care about your characters. Um, you know, I've seen so many things where it's like, you know, opening page, my mother died. And it's like, all right, well, here we go. Now, it's like literally trying to make you feel bad for this character right off yeah. the bat. Like, it's so much easier if you can show, like, you know, in the first two panels, like, this guy's world, like, this happens, and then this happens, and this happens, and all this bad stuff's happening. But you know what? That last panel on page two, he's, you know, he says, you know, I, I know that I, I could overcome this. We'll see what happens. Like, that is admirable. Yeah. Like, all this bad stuff, and still this guy is, is optimistic. And, and that's what your hero needs to be. Unless they start off why they should have sympathy for the character rather than just telling them, have sympathy for this character. Exactly. You're going to show them because, you know what, everybody's lost something. So if your character lost something, well, that's relatable. Everybody's lost something. But if you say, you know, something like that, like I said before, like my mother died, like not everybody lost their mother. So that's not really relatable. Or some people can't even imagine what it's like to lose a mom or some people, you know, whatever it is. But, you know, I said, you know, I lost, you know. I had a best friend, and and I can't find them. Well, odds are everybody has a best friend. And, you know, what would you do if your best friend was missing? Like, how far would you go to find your best friend? A couple of blocks, That's, at least. 
Yeah, well, exactly. That's not a good friend. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes I mean, I, I probably would just get binoculars and look out my front door. <laughs> oh, there he is. It's fine. I'm yeah. going back to Yeah. <laughs> but that, that's, that's the, you know, um, making somebody care about the journey by simply showing that the character is relatable. I get it, man. It makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense. And that's a... Uh... Very good way to start. I was thinking we would be able to fit a lot more into this uh, section today, but oh, I think we're going to have to... Suck. No, 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 no. That's not what I meant. Don't take oh. it as that. No, I just... You're giving a lot of good advice, and I, I was being pretty uh, optimistic, thinking uh, we could fit everything into 20 minutes. I want to do this into, like, a multiple episodes. Like, we, yeah. we got a good starting point here now. Next time, maybe we could have you back talk about... Uh, Maybe how to start funding, you know, getting money together to, you know, bring your uh, dream to reality kind of stuff. Yeah, I'm down. Um, let me know when. I mean, if you want to do it sooner rather than later just to keep it fresh, we could do that. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't even think we've got anyone lined up for next week yet, no. to be honest uh-huh. with you. So um, if, if you, you want to do want... next week, I could do that. Okay, awesome. So we could just uh, it's plan like behind on... the scene. This is like behind the scenes stuff on the show. Yeah, <laughs> these so people are privy to this information today. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah that peels the curtain back. <laughs> it's your it's like... view into royalty. Yeah, welcome to the fourth wall. <laughs> well, but yeah, awesome. I'm down. Yeah, I mean, I, I like I said, I, I told you, I warned you guys, I'm, I'm I can get windy when it comes to this. I'm a little bit passionate about it. No, getting windy is sitting and saying the same thing over and over and over. You didn't do that, my friend. You're it's giving a great me- subject. It's yeah. worth going on about. Yeah, you know? you're giving valuable advice and uh, a lot of things I would have never even thought of. So, uh, yeah, I'm anxious to have you back. We'll just uh, keep this going, and we'll just pick up next time with uh, funding, how to start funding. Awesome. That's a good idea. Awesome. Well, th- Sal, thanks so much for being with us today and for all the useful information. My God. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate being on and I'll be on next week. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, we'll see you next week. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> awesome. Jack, what do we have on the website? Uh, we got the show blog with the notes. We got the Hall of Heroes video page with our YouTube videos. And that's about it. And don't forget to find us on Twitter at Canned Air Pod and on Instagram at Canned underscore Air. Uh, leave us some messages on there. Uh, look at pictures we posted. You know how that crap works. Just uh, roll with the punches. And in the interest of fairness, please address your fan mail to the whole team, not just me. I don't want to upset the balance or anything. Ego on this guy. Get off your freaking high horse, man. <laughs> I think we need to get him a stool to do that. There we go. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's going to do it this week. So until next time, I am Jeremy Colley. Well, I'm Jack Doherty. And I'm Jake Runyon. And you're Sal Brocolary. Oh, yeah. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Sal Brocolary. And I will be back next week. Yeah, we'll be back next week with more useful uh, tips in the making comics. So until then, see you next time.
All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, this is what we were referencing earlier. We are going to talk about Star Wars The Force Awakens, and we're going to spoil the hell out of it. So if you haven't seen it, tune out now. Um, We'll give you about five seconds here. Okay, ready? It's been a week and a half. (laughs) Yeah, but it's the holidays, too. (laughs) Some people haven't seen it. All right, you've been warned. It's your own fault now. All right, so Star Wars Force Awakens. What do we think? Star Wars more edition. Yeah. Which is fine with me. Like yeah. that's not a negative. Just everything was bigger and better and much bigger. <laughs> Here's the Death Star before. Here's how big it is now. Well, One it's trick. Like, it's a bigger Death Star this time. <laughs> Surprised he was still alive too. Yeah. <laughs> he should have died of, I don't know, stroke related <laughs> complications. Whatever's happening in that thing's head is not normal. You would have think at some point somebody would have spilt salt or something on him, like he would have melted a little bit. He'd run away. <laughs> <laughs> About you, what'd you think? I loved it. Yeah. I want to see it again. I'm mad that I haven't seen it again yet, but the stupid holidays. Yeah, well, it happens. I I squeezed it in between coming home from my dad's and going to mom's for Christmas. So <laughs> Priorities. Was, yeah. Nothing but surprises the whole storyline. Finn isn't Lando Calrissian's son. That we know of. Yeah. Well, yeah. He said he never met his family, didn't he? Like that was They're yeah. leaving that Took wide open. a family yeah. I never knew. Yeah, so. The lightsaber didn't fall from the sky and... Or from loose hands, didn't get cut off, and the lightsaber fell, and then Lando found his lightsaber, and then gave it to Finn. That was one of the ones that everyone was saying. Oh, I didn't hear that. (laughs) What the hell are you talking about? I hate hearing stuff like that after the fact. Yeah. It's so interesting that you're like, well, I guess I can dream. Yeah. I I stayed as much away from that as I could before the movie came out, but... uh, That would have been so much better. I don't know about that, but... uh, (laughs) It was awesome, and it worked on... uh, It it was really kind of brilliant, actually, just because it worked on so many levels as far as uh, the way movies are made today. When you're doing something that's been done before, you know, you either are making another chapter in a pre-existing story, or you're going to do a reboot, like the Ghostbusters are kind of doing with the Mm -hmm. girls. Right. And I think... This movie works as both. It works, I mean, obviously it's a continuation of the story we know, but if you tear it down and analyze the movie, it's pretty much a retelling of A New Hope. You have the droid on the crash planet with, uh, you know, holding vital information. Uh, She gets caught up in the mess. There's even, you know, the Death Star trench run again. I mean, there's so many uh, familiar... Things from A New Hope in that. Just hyped to see another scene of like anti aircraft fire filling the sky. Something about that visual in the trench run really did it for me. All the turrets and exactly. That's exactly what comes to mind when I think of that. Yeah, there's great big guns turning. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Um, I love seeing uh, TIE fighters doing strafing runs in the ground. Oh, my God. That, that cool. you never seen. It was always yeah, just in yeah. space flying around. Yeah. As and like it, an air-to-surface attack platform. Yeah. TIE at fighters first, got it all, right? <laughs> at first, I was sitting there watching, and I'm like, this is so weird. But then I was like, well, in Rebels, they've been doing it a lot, too, doing mm. strafing runs against the ground. So I was like, okay, well, then it fits. Yeah, it was definitely good. Um I don't think Han Solo's death came as any surprise to anyone. I, <laughs> It, it came as a surprise for me because the way I watch movies, I tend to really shut off. 
I'm so afraid of spoiling things for myself if I overthink it yeah. that I yeah. go into this, this weirdly inert state where the movie is happening and mm-hmm. processing it when it happens. But there was a point where Kylo went onto the bridge and I was like, oh, this reeks of finality. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you knew that was exactly when it was going to happen. Especially I, in 3D, that like catwalk yeah. like, sticking out. And, uh, you can hear the violins starting up. Yeah. Here it goes. Well, then Chewie is on a level and then he watches the other two come in. Uh-huh. You've got your audience. The stage is fucking set. Yeah. Time to kill him. I almost thought, because I thought, I was like, yep, here we go. And then I was like, well, maybe not, because he started getting all, Kylo started getting yeah, all teary. Yeah. And I was like, oh, he's going to go back with him. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> and I was like, oh. Well, as soon as he said that line, that was like, uh, I know what I have to do. <laughs> I just don't know if I can do it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they was led to believe, you know, walk away from the Sith was the thing to do. Yeah. Killing his father was the thing he didn't know if he could do, but by God, he did it. Which I think is is brilliant for the character, the way they introduce that, always oh, so conflicted, and we're kind of hardwired to think everyone's inherently good. Right. But he's overpowering all the positive aspects of his own being, mm. and that's so cool to me, even <laughs> if it makes him such a bastard. You know? Yeah. Seeing him get mad and rage. Oh, my God. That was I love the, that. one of the best parts yeah. of it, too. Going to town on the yeah, console with his saber. Anytime Darth got mad, he'd either choke someone out, sure. walk away, or he'd just stand there. He calmly showed his anger. But yeah, it's a very Sith thing to do to lash out, though. Whether you're like as collected about it, like Vader, or you're just chopping up what must be a very expensive, important control room. <laughs> hey, if you've got the money to turn a planet into a <laughs> space station, you've got the money for a new console. I, I almost took myself out of the movie watching it, thinking like, oh my god, the manpower. Yeah. What When the workers unionize, how did they deal with that? Uh, who takes lunch <laughs> when? <laughs> to core oh, out man. a planet. Any, uh, any bumps in the road through the movie for you guys? I don't know if I, I didn't like it or what. They gave the the force had way more powers. Oh yeah, That's like he was holding Ray still at a couple of times mm. and reading people's. Well, I guess they could kind of sense. Uh, it was more like he was reading their mind instead of. They sensing definitely their gave him more of like a full on mind reading yeah. aspect there. Exactly that part. I don't know if I I really liked that that much. Even was, Ray was reading back into his mind about. Being as good as Vader ever was, dude, she was powerful yeah. right off the rip. Yeah, it was really cool how uh, he held that blaster shot in the air. Oh, I know, oh I love that. That was so <laughs> wicked. So sold from that moment yeah. on. It's, like, it's done. It's good. It's a good movie. <laughs> I could leave now. Yeah, it was. And then you've completely forgotten about it, and he <laughs> walks away. Boom! Mm-hmm. Oh, it was oh sweet. God. It was sweet. I had. Uh, I hated how little of one C-3PO and R2 oh, yeah. yep. there were. Um, not that they're... I mean, they've always been the comedy kind of sidekick or comedy relief or whatever, but you have BB-8 for that. And, boy, he was a great character. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. I'm a lot of obsessed with him. Yeah, yeah. Ab- absolutely. Did a great job. <coughs> oh, excuse me. But where R2, you kind of... Uh, it's hard to explain. You kind of viewed him as a... More of like a wise entity <laughs> than BB-8, who just kind of seems like a dog at points. Yeah, he's kind of, oh, kind of dignified almost. <laughs> yeah, but um, C-3PO, and it might just be because Anthony Daniels is getting old. He uh, looked, he sounded different to me, mm-hmm. and his Tiny finish bit. looked. Uh, 
different. He looked like Matt, which, okay, I guess you get a, uh, you can wear down over time. And sure. Hey, he's a freaking old droid. Hey, man, aren't you <laughs> yeah. old as hell? Well, yeah. And just the red arm, you know, there was this whole buildup to like, wow, C-3PO has a red arm. I can't wait to hear about that. Hello, Master Solo. I have a red arm. It's different from the other one. You probably didn't recognize me. Well, you know, a friend of mine, a friend of mine told me why they did that. We went back and we watched A New Hope. And C-3PO has a silver leg. Yeah. I never noticed that. Maybe that's common knowledge and I'm super out of the loop. Dork. (laughs) (laughs) But the impression I got was like they did that as like a callback to the idea that people didn't pick up on that weird thing that was just different about him. Yeah, it it was a cool feature. Um, Apparently there's supposed to be a comic coming out that's going to explain that whole part. You're right. I forgot about that. The comics are filling in the gaps. They really are. And they're really good. They're doing a good job, too. Yeah. Solid stuff. Like it's not just really rote kind of like, oh, let's continue Mm, the story. Right. They've got ideas there. They're solid. Another thing that, uh, and I could be horribly wrong on this, but another thing that was really great about the movie is when Disney acquired Star Wars, they said that they that all the fiction that had been written after Return of the Jedi was no longer relevant. The comics, the novels, my God, the novels, yeah. there was tons of them, and they were like that thick. Can you imagine reading all that and having it mean nothing? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Going on about Imperial but, Knights and Darth whatevers. And- yeah, but if I'm... Correct. In those stories, uh, it was very heavily around Han and Leia's children, too. And yeah, it seems yeah. like J.J. Uh, Abrams, I mean, maybe it's just the easiest path to go <laughs> with the characters we have already. But um, it just seems like that was also him including that element into the movie was kind of an homage to yeah. all that had been mm. lost and all that other fiction. Does that make sense? taste of it, yeah. Yeah. Saying it wasn't totally worthless. <laughs> right, right. Well, it we makes had- it easier, too, because... They can't add to add to Return of the Jedi with all the expanded universe stuff and have it match up with everything that's out there because there was so much. Yeah. And then everyone would be like, no, no, yeah. no, that can't happen that way. Well, I don't see how they... I mean, it's not like George Lucas himself wrote any of those books. No. So, I mean, well, why is it... Uh, I don't know why it was such a blow to fans, but at the same time, if I had dedicated all that time to it and someone said, oh, it doesn't mean shit, yeah. <laughs> I'd be, be kind of upset. Uh, I wanted to see more Poe. Poe was awesome. Yeah. Poe was cool. Poe was amazing. I I never, uh, you know, I remember back in the day, friends thinking how cool Wedge was, but you never <laughs> you never see Wedge Doesn't really. I mean, no. like, it's got a sweet name. That's yeah. <laughs> yeah. Other than that, it's just Wedge. yeah, yeah. But it's just kind of trendy to like Wedge. I mean, right. You have no reason to like him. So if you say you like him, it's just because everyone else says they like him. I was him. almost going to say, well, you like Boba Fett, but I don't want to be killed. So <laughs> no, I'm totally with you on that. And I think that. Uh, Captain Phasma was this movie's answer oh, to Boba Fett. Yeah. I, I thought yeah. that might be the case. She'd be yeah. like the cool-looking do-nothing. <laughs> right, right. It's just he. Uh, you can tell that he took note of the key features of the franchise <laughs> yeah. and definitely put every single one of them. Here's back what in this we movie. need. <laughs> yeah, we got to have someone badass stand in the background. <laughs> so yeah, any other thoughts? The Death Star blew up planets. That's like an objectively shitty thing to do. <laughs> like on a galactic scale, not just throwing off the astronomical whatever of your right. whole galaxy. Star Killer erases an entire system. 
that's the worst thing imaginable. <laughs> like, it's a movie, so I can sit there and analyze something, not from a moralistic perspective, and go like, oh, sweet. But for some reason, this time it hit me like, oh, my God. Yeah. This time sucks. they mean it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this time it's personal. It is so completely like us and them now. They're not going for followers. They're not trying to assimilate. It's like, here we are. We matter. Burn the rest. Yeah. You know? And that beam was so strong, it <laughs> sent off the only so- lens flare in the movie, pretty much. <laughs> Did it? The strong lens flare. Yeah. It looked like it was so bright. Going across the sky. To have that restraint, though, like knowing everyone's going to be hounding on the lens flares, and you should be like, here it is, nerds. <laughs> Here's the one. <laughs> Make it count. That was so good, though. That was love so it. good. I love Being that space splitting station, off like that. It's like I was telling you today. I When is the Empire going to get it through their head that this design is flawed? <laughs> it's a flawed design. The Rebels have taken it down three freaking times. They are so familiar with this process. <laughs> now, oh, we got another giant planet killer raid today. <laughs> Can you pencil it in for five? We're going to have to keep later. droids out of their bases from now on because that's <laughs> how they seem to lose their plans. Just, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Scatter. Don't build a big fucking beehive and all sit in it in one spot. It's like it's such a top-heavy organization. They've got almighty lords of the cosmos floating around, suffocating people, mm-hmm. obliterating worlds, and just the most impossibly stupid drones they could even get a hold of. <laughs> Agreed. I, I loved how uh, it sucked in the sun energy, and then when it blew yeah. up, it turned into a sun. Yeah, yeah, that was That sweet. was cool, but... Um, yeah, maybe a different design would be. If history has proven anything to us, it's that the Death Star thing doesn't work. I know they had a whole planet to work with. They could have had their oscillator or whatever it was. Maybe just like underneath the surface, <laughs> not with lower. it, where any old Poe Dameron can fly in and screw yeah. things up. Yeah. One other complaint I, I have say. was Kylo Ren's ship. All the merchandise, its wings are straight up like a Tie Fighter. This right. wasn't. They were. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they never were, went yeah. totally vertical. Except for when he landed. That was yeah. 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 Really? So at first, I was looking. I'm like, is that? No, that's not it. Because the wings are straight up and down like a Tie Fighter. It's nope. Got that wicked V. I yeah. love that ship. Though. So cool. Oh, that ship was awesome. There was no uh, constables. What's his name? The big saucer hat alien guy that the merchandise was out there. Oh yeah, you're right. I bought him. You know, I, I was looking for him actually. I think there might have been a. Scene where he was like a bystander in a pillaged village or something. Like I, mm. I kept an eye out for the whole movie, looking for that head, and for uh, that other scavenger. I saw him. Yeah, where you said, it was but uh, really dark, hard to see his face. But uh, I'm pretty sure he was just like, like got a second of screen time, which doesn't make why Lame. make him a figure. Yeah, he looks so menacing as a figure. Like mm-hmm. I don't get it. Any other thoughts? I am down with Kylo Ren's little cruciform lightsaber. There was yeah. so much backlash. Oh, yeah. And then they clashed, and he and he got Finn in the shoulder, just mm-hmm. a little like, yeah, I got you, motherfucker. And I'm like, there it is. See, guys? They do that all the time. <laughs> and he swung it like it was a broadsword. Yeah, yeah, there, there was too. none of that, like, sort of, like, faux, like, katana swordsmanship thing yeah. they were doing in the prequels. It was almost like a nice balance between, like, the original three. Like, they were like baseball bats. They're just swinging <laughs> for the fences. And then in the prequels, it was all like, oh, we got to choreograph this, make sure it's acrobatic. We all have our own our own stance and moves that they do, like... <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Kylo Ren was very much 
a medieval-looking character to I'm me. I'm so down yeah. with that. Especially with his helmet off. I mean... Just the way he like, his hair style yeah. looked like a like a disgruntled prince like <laughs> fighting for the throne yeah, or something you know like he's a, got that yeah go ahead uh, oh Robin Hood the the yes. sheriff of Nottingham yes. right right one with uh, the Kevin Costner one mm-hmm. that was a good movie mm-hmm. was that um thinking in the wrong way was it Mark Strong who was the villain I'm thinking of something else never I heard. don't know yeah. I don't know I just know it was good. <laughs> <laughs> But all right, uh, I can't think of anything else. I'm sure as soon as we stop it, I'll think of something. But <laughs> anything else on Star Wars? Next movie, Hayden Christensen's going to be in it. That's what I've heard. Yep. Really? No kidding. Mm-hmm. Is that just like as a continuity thing, or are they bring him in as a new character? Oh, um, continuity. I'm sure. I yeah. mean, I'm sure it'll be like another one of those uh, flashback kind of right. things, or that maybe communing with the past. Yeah, yeah you know, yeah, like yeah. Uh, Luke <laughs> used to see Obi Wan. Right. That, yeah, a Force apparition aged. Yeah. <laughs> and then got young again somehow. So crazy. The force is mysterious, yeah. you guys. I can't <laughs> emphasize that. Enough. It works in mysterious ways, Jake. <laughs> that it does. All right. Well, I hope we've uh, spoiled Star Wars enough for you. If you haven't seen it, go see it. You'll love it. And I don't even think you have to be a Star Wars fan to enjoy no, it. Uh, uh, Brooke it's definitely isn't movie. into Star Wars, and she really enjoyed it. So uh, you'll love it. No matter how old you are, yada, yada, yada. Yeah, I guess you don't really need to see the prequels. Mm -mm. No. You don't. It stands on its own. Do not recommend it. Back to the argument about being a good uh, reboot movie. Yeah, absolutely. To parallel those early movies. Yeah, you don't have to have watched them. I mean, you obviously have a lot more insight. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, I think that's going to do it for the Star Wars talk. Uh, How do we end this? Does that finish the episode normal? Well, the episode would have already finished by the time people are hearing this. This is after we. Oh, you gotta do it at the very end. All right. Well, if you like this podcast, <laughs> check, oh, <laughs> well, that's gonna do it for us. Spoiling Star Wars: The Force Awakens. So, if you haven't seen it, get out there and see it. It's freaking good. So, uh, until next time, I'm Jeremy Collick, Jack Doherty, and I'm Jake Runyon. Thanks for listening. little Jimmy. Hey, it's Alpine. While you're waiting on your negligent parents to find you, why don't you pull out your mobile device and get on CandarePodcast.com. Shoot, it may even help him find you. Well, that makes no sense. Hey, what are you doing near my son? Time to split. G.I. Joe! (laughs) (laughs) Did you see that one? It's got explosions. I'm Bruce Martin, host of Pit Pass Indy. Each week, I go behind the scenes of the NTT IndyCar series and introduce our listeners to the biggest stars of IndyCar, which features the Indianapolis 500 as its cornerstone event. The men and women that compete in IndyCar may be the bravest athletes in all of sport as danger lurks around every corner. They are able to look danger in the eye without flinching. That is why the NTT IndyCar Series features the best racing on the planet. Join me every week as we talk to the stars of IndyCar, including the legends of the Indianapolis 500 on Pit Pass Indy from Evergreen Podcast.